Good afternoon and welcome to the Girls Who Sell Spotlight podcast, where we talk about everything business to business sales. My name is Heidi Solomon Orlick, and I'm the founder and CEO of Girls Who Sell. At Girls Who Sell, we are not only committed to closing the gender gap in B2B sales, but to building the largest pipeline of diverse early stage female sales talent. We are more than a company, we are a movement. On today's epi- episode, I am thrilled to introduce you to Christy Jones. Christy is the principal of Sales Acceleration Group, which helps technology companies to take their revenue to the next level. She is a sales coach and process strategy strategist for a number of organizations and also works as a fractional sales leader for others. Christy is a contributing writer with Top Sales World and a member of Modern Sales Pros and Women's Sales Pros. Christy, welcome to the spotlight and thank you for joining us. Heidi, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to chat with you today. Yeah, so why don't we start? Um, I loved our conversation to prepare for this, but I would love you to share with our audience your background because I think you have a very unique perspective. Thank you. Um, I, again, had the uh, privilege of growing up in a family where we owned our own company. So my uh, family owned a Coldwell Banker real estate franchise. And so my dad was the owner broker, but my mom quit teaching after 18 years and got her real estate license over one summer. And then our whole world really changed. Um, a big big shift between having her home by 3.30 every day and nights and uh, weekends, summers off, and for her to become a full-time um, real estate agent and a, and a top agent in our city. So it was super interesting to see kind of just, we, you know, I, I, she did it at a pivotal time, um, you know, when I was about 12, when she made the switch. And so really seeing, moving from her being, you know, a teacher, which was, you know, a, you know, a, a, a rewarding career, but, um, you know, she became kind of a powerhouse and, and life changed for us, you know, as a family dramatically, because real estate is not one of those forgiving um, careers. That's a nights and weekends. That's a, whenever somebody wants to buy a house and write a contract, you, you know, you get up and leave. So, but, um, I say, I got my MBA at the kitchen table because when that happened, the conversation around the kitchen table dramatically changed prior to that. Um, occasionally we'd talk about what was going on at the office as we called it, but then it became all consuming. So, you know, conversations when we were all together for dinner, um, revolved around, you know, listings, buyers, sellers, out of town buyers, um, what was going on? Commission checks. How much was that? So, you know, I grew up in a very unique situation where finances were very transparent. I, my brother, I have a younger brother, and he and I are completely financially literate. Um, and a lot of that, I, you know, we did get at the kitchen table. But my dad was also very um, concerned about making sure that we had financial education. And so, you know, first jobs, like you know, making sure we put our ten percent away into our four hundred one k, or at least did the matching. You know, what would that t- what would that cost? Um, what, what were the consequences of not paying off your credit card every month, get your calculator out and let's go through the interest um, situation. So I had a different business acumen, um, but I also got a chance, you know, and, and I was exposed to a lot of very successful people within that industry. Both my parents were um, president of the Kansas Association of Realtors and the Topeka Board of Realtors. And so I got a chance to interact with others, you know, on the board and that were, you know, past and future presidents and so, you know, I grew up really understanding the kind of, and then the work ethic, you know, situation was, was yeah. second to none. Like I said, that is not, that is not an eight to five job Monday through Friday by any stretch of the imagination, but everybody who worked hard, you know, the people that I was surrounded by and got an opportunity to interact with, 
you know, made their money because they were working hard. They did the right thing. They marketed correct. You know, they marketed themselves well. You know, they were customer first focused. So it was really, really, you know, I look back on it now and, it, you know, when you're in the middle of it, it doesn't feel that way. But I think it's no surprise that I grew up to be a sales leader and that my brother grew up to be a very successful individual contributor. Um, and, and no doubt that although neither of us decided to take the business over, it, no, no doubt that it impacted where we are today with our professional careers. Yeah, 100%. And, and that's interesting. Um, first of all, my husband's a realtor now. Um, so I completely relate because it is definitely uh, not a, a nine to five jobs. He, he is on call all the time. But, right. you know, but while our kids were growing up, um, he was actually a stay at home dad. So we had a complete reverse household where, um, you know, I was the primary breadwinner and, yep. and was a sales leader and executive and traveling. And he stayed at home and took care of the kids, right? So it must have been interesting seeing your mom not only step out of education, but into this high powered real estate career. But there may have been times when she was actually um, out, out earning your dad, right? A lot, a lot of times, right? I mean, the real estate is a very unforgiving industry. So like, you know, the bubble and then the burst. Um, right. but, but again, like we were very transparent. We knew when my dad wasn't, wasn't taking a salary and sometimes he wasn't taking a salary to make sure he covered payroll. And sometimes he wasn't taking a salary because my mother had out earned him and we had quarterly taxes to pay. And so, yeah. Um, yeah. So it really was, it wasn't, and, and it was funny because her financial literacy is not as strong as the rest of ours. Um, and, and it was kind of a running joke. She always thought whatever the receipt at the ATM spit out was exactly how much money was in the account. <laughs> um, and so, so like, she was really, like, she really just like went out there and made the money, but didn't always understand all of the things behind paying the bills and, and whatever, but my dad still, you know, took care of all of that, but, but no, I mean, and it changed our lifestyle too. Right. I mean, yeah. we went, um, you know, I mean, you know, my parents had not been saving for college. Um, and really then we call it cash for college now. And, you know, all of a sudden I got to college and we had a, you know, our financial situation was good enough that my dad literally just wrote checks every semester. Um, and then the same thing when my brother, you know, entered college. So it was, you know, it's all kinds of different things that, that put us in the position that we were in. Um, but, but a lot of it was just, you know, hard work and doing the right thing and, you know, and, and understanding that industry that I think that was the other thing that really, we talked a lot about the industry mm. um, and again, about marketing and how to, you know, how to market better yourself, the company. So you know, there was just, there were so many lessons at the time, just, it was all by osmosis. Yeah. But later on all came in handy. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, what I, what I also think is interesting, and this is just a recent, um, a recent thing, there was a New York times article uh, just yesterday, actually, that came out uh, where they were interviewing educators. And uh, one of the things that I found fascinating about this article is of the people that they interviewed, and they did this huge survey, actually, uh, about 40% of the educators said that they wanted to exit out of education, that they felt that they were underpaid, um, that they were overworked, and they were unappreciated, which, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm sure maybe you even saw this, um, you know, from your, from your mom. I mean, um, oh, so yeah. what about, um, and I've had a lot of educators since we launched Girls Who Sell called me and said, hey, you know, I'm a teacher, 
Uh, and I, but I think I want to move into sales, right? And I think a lot of what I've done from an education perspective are transferable skills. What do you think about that? You know, seeing your mom making that transition. Yeah, hundred percent. And I say this all the time. I go, you know, teachers were the first salespeople, right? Um, and it's a hard, and it's a hard sales job because, you know, my mom taught uh, secondary ed. So she was teaching in the high school. Um, but I mean, to keep, you know, and that was before cell phones, right? So you didn't have all the distractions that you have today. Um, now you have all the technology, but before, but I mean, still to keep the, t- you know, you had to be entertaining. You had to be engaging. You had to, you, you had to have interaction um, in order to keep you know, the attention of somewhere between 25 and 30 individuals at any given time. Um, and she didn't teach always the sexiest of topics. She taught English, she taught Spanish, um, and she taught business courses. And so, you know, like a lot of those kids were there because they had to be right. They had to get they had to have four years of English and they had to have two years of foreign language or whatever. And so, you know, it was it, it really is. And I say, like, in order to keep the attention span of those individuals day in and day out, I mean, and how many what are you doing? Seven, you know, seven classes a day with one period of planning. Right. Um, like It's exhausting. But you really had to, you know, I mean, I, I think for sure that I always say, like, Teachers have been, you know, teachers are like, I'm not in sales. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're in sales many more hours a day than some other people I know. That's right. That's right. And so what, um, you know, some people may have seen what your parents went through and like run the other direction, right? (laughs) But but you didn't, right? So what was it at those, you know, at the dinner table that interested you in pursuing a career in sales? I think it was a few things. Um, again, full disclosure, as I already shared with you, my brother, neither my brother nor I decided to go into the family business. So right. um, when my dad retired. So there was that. There was that part. There was that part. But I mean, I think, you know, and, and I think both of us gravitated. I was closer to my dad than my mom and my brother was closer to my mom than my dad. And so it was no surprise that we took the paths we did. But I remember just having extensive, you know, my mom wasn't around a lot at night. So, you know, if it was just the three of us at the dinner table, it was kind of fascinating to ask questions. And I remembered my dad doing like weird motivational things that didn't seem like, I was kind of like, that doesn't seem like dad. But I remember that he would do, um, he, I can't remember what he called it, but it was, I called it secret Santa. And so he would, he would, when, th- when positive things, he was trying to catch people doing it right. And so he took these colored index cards, right? That you would put your recipes on back in the day. And he would put a, a Hershey's kiss and a message. And it was like, you know, it was kind of like, he didn't have, he had a name for it, but he was basically undercover sneaking around the office and putting these messages on, on agents desks to try to keep them motivated, um, try to whatever. And it was this, it became this big thing because nobody knew who it was. And everybody was, it was kind of like a murder mystery. Everybody was trying to figure out like who the secret Santa was that kept leaving these positive messages around. And my dad in fairness seemed like an unlikely candidate because my dad doesn't own a pom-pom, as I say. He is not a cheerleader by nature. He's no, no short skirt, no pom-pom for that one. Very business, very analytic, you know, very um, very serious and professional. So people, people did not suspect it was him. But at some point, I again, we were office rats, right? And so I was around. And so I got wind of all this and I was like, who do you think it is? And finally he disclosed to me that it was him. And I was shocked. I was like, wow. And he's like, you know, he's like, it's hard. This is a hard industry. This is a hard business. Um, and so, you know, I think just hearing those kind of things and, and you know, when bad things happened too, right? Um, like there's no honor amongst thieves in the real estate business because you're a 1099, you're hanging your shield, right? Your, your, uh, your plaque there. So, I mean, there were, you know, I watched when half the office went and started a Remax office, left us and started a Remax office. Um, we had an employee uh, steal from us mm-hmm. um, and we had an office fire. 
And so, you know, also I saw all of, so I saw how my dad reacted to all those and handled those things. And I think, you know, the grit um, and the resilience that came from, from being a business owner, it was definitely not, you know, it was definitely not as glamorous as, as some other professions, but, you know, I really watched him and I observed him and I talked to him about, you know, about things like, you know, how do you, you know, you've got, you've got employees, but you really have, you have like, you know, let's say five or six or seven employees who are W2 employees at the office, but really like all of these agents are employees too. And you're, and he's running sales meetings. I mean, you know, he's running this weekly sales meetings. They're getting on a bus to go tour new houses. Like this was, you know, this is real old school stuff, but you know, those things made a difference because those people could have gone and worked for anyone in the city. Right. And so that was, there was always that, there was always that hanging over your head that you can't lose a top agent. Like how do you ensure that a top agent stays with you, stays loyal and doesn't go to the newest shiny, you know, real estate office that opens up. Right. That pays, that has a little lower cap, right. That, uh, you know, they move and they move or has a signing bonus and they move just for that. Right. Like pretty easy to, easy to move. I, I know, I know, um, because my, my husband has been enticed by those, but you know, he's happy where he's at because of the people that he works with and, and he doesn't want to make, make a move. So what, so to me, I mean, that's just leadership, that's leadership, good leadership, right? So what of those, you know, did you take with you that you now bring to your consulting practice and to your clients? Yeah, I think one of the things we talked about, I would say I also don't own pom-poms in general, um, but it was funny because he brought in a leadership coach or he brought in a, he brought in a real estate expert, but he brought in a consultant um, when, I was, when I was out of college. And um, I knew of this gentleman and I had met him. And I said, you know, like, what are you, like, what are you learning? What do you want to know? You know, and he said little, like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that I still don't know yet. And so, you know, one of the things that he taught me, you know, you know, he said like, you know, people want to know that you care on all different levels. And I was one of those people that I would never ask people on a Monday how their weekend was. I just didn't care. And I was just, I was like, it just really wasn't interested. And you didn't have to ask me either. Right. Cause I was like, you know, I was coming in and I'm like, let's hit the books and let's, you know, let's get, let's get our Monday started. Um, but he said like, you know, people want to know that you care. And so you have to show, like, I was, once, I, I, I tell this joke and I'm not, it's not, I'm not kidding, but I wouldn't keep Kleenex in my office because I was like, there's no crying in sales. And so if you come into my office and you tear up, you're going to have to go somewhere else to get your tissue. Because I was like, I was like, if I got to, if I just hand you a box of tissues, you could be there for an hour, you know, crying. And I was like, we got to get like, we got to get past this. we got to move on. But I think part of it was just me getting older, but I saw him because I, you know, like, obviously I saw him as a different person at home as my father, but then I got a chance to see him in action. And then I learned that he was getting coaching, right. That he didn't know every, like, I thought, you know, again, like I thought he was, you know, the man, the myth, the legend, um, you know, at home and at the office. But then I learned that he brought in a consultant to help. And he said, I can improve my leadership skills. We as a man, we as a leadership team, you know, he had, he had middle managers at that point because the company had gotten to two offices and we were growing, um, and then, and then amazing stories from his year as the president of the Kansas Association of Realtors and seeing, and that's where negotiate, that's where my negotiation, like, you know, radar went off because, you know, trying to get things passed, um, you know, he said like, you know, it's like we're on the board, I'm trying to get, you know, we're trying to get initiatives passed, but not everybody's on the program. 
And that's when, you know, persuasion and influence and negotiation came in Yeah. Um, because he had, again, everybody wants to leave that post, leaving something behind, right? There's my legacy as my, my year of the president of the Kansas Association of Realtors. What did I do to better the industry? Right. Because at that point, you know, I mean that, and that's a, you know, that's, that's not a paid position, right? I mean, that's right. Not, right. I mean, like on top of running your own company, you're now also running the state association um, along with an EO and, and the board members. But, you know, that's because you, that's for love of the industry. And so I think there were so many, there were so many lessons, Heidi, including that, right? Volunteer, the importance of volunteerism and giving back. Um, I followed in his footsteps. One of the things that he did that I thought was really cool at the time, but came in play for me later is he also taught junior achievement, which I now teach. Um, and one of the, and one of the reasons, like, I, I felt like I needed to do something and I was kind of like burned out at work. And my boss said like, why don't you like do some volunteerism and do it on the company's time? And I was like, oh, and so I was like, what am I going to do? And then I remembered he did it. And I called him, I said, what did you think? And he's like, oh, it was so rewarding. And again, it wasn't like, again, like I, I can still picture him going into the, you know, to the fifth graders with his suit on and looking completely out of place. Right. <laughs> but one of the reasons I chose to do that was one of the, was one of the reasons why we're talking today is because a couple of reasons. A, you know, we need we need kids at that age. So I taught two grades. I, I taught, I teach second grade and I teach seventh grade. Very different. So in second grade, we teach about my community, right? And they get little tokens and they get to like be the florist and they get to go to put money in the bank and then they get to go spend money at the pizza parlor. Um, and then in the seventh graders, I teach international business, believe it or not, at seventh grade. But the thing I love most about junior achievement is it has a financial acumen piece to every single grade lesson. And so I get to come in and say, hey, girls, look at me. You know, hey, guys, look at me. And in some cases, I'm, I'm teaching in underprivileged schools. Mm -hmm. um, and so I want to come in and say to them, like, this is a noble profession. This is what I do. This is what I can teach you. You know, this is how come I know about money. Um, and, and I want to teach you about money, too. So you know, I think those are all like, those are important things to me that, that come into not, you know, you know, into every aspect of my life. And I think it all goes back to, again, those times at the kitchen table. But, you know, one of the things that I'm, that I'm still disappointed by is how few female founders I get a chance to work for as a sales consultant, right? And the majority, in fact, I have yet to work for a female founder that didn't have a male co-founder. Um, and so you can see, right, and, and, and I call this the, the older white man problem, um, and that's because VCs are mostly run by older white men with money. And, you know, again, I, I get that you're comfortable with what you know and, you know, and what you grew up with. Um, and, you know, and I grew up in Topeka, Kansas, so there wasn't a lot of diversity in my world. But still, it's, you know, I, I work, you know, I got, I got on the phone a couple of weeks ago with a female founder who didn't have a co-founder. Co and um, I had been introduced to her by a VC out of San Francisco. And I, I mean, I got on the phone with her. I was like, I am so excited to talk to you. And she's like, why? And I said, because I've never worked for a purely female founder before. And this is super exciting. Well, I'm a female founder with no, no male awesome. co-founder. So awesome. woo, you get to know, me too. Two, me and too. One, two and two weeks. What are the, what are the, I know, what are the odds? What are the what odds? Yeah, it's the exception, not the rule. And that includes minorities as well. Right. Right. Oh, well, forget. I mean, one, two, overlay. I mean, it's just like, you know, business to business sales in general. And actually, that's why Girls Who Sell was founded is, you know, is, is you know, women in general are underrepresented. But then if you Absolutely. look at women in leadership and you look at women of color or, um, you know, other 
you know, diversity type of statistics, the numbers are just dismal. So hopefully we'll they be are. able to, to um, you know, begin to solve for that, move the, move the needle. But it's, it's interesting because, you know, with the launch of Girls Who Sell, we focused, uh, we, we focused as a starting point on college-aged and high school-aged young women. And that's what we're, you know, who we're working with mostly today. But I will tell you, Christy, is I have been encouraged over and over and over again. And, um, and, and it's just something I need to do, which is to get younger. And so I'd love to hear what you're doing that you're doing with junior achievement and that you're yes. taught that you're teaching international business. Uh, and maybe there's a way for us just, you know, a collaboration to be born, but um, yeah. where, you know, we're, you know, where we're teaching sales skills, because I, I do one, it's a life skill. And yep. two, I, I do think that it needs to be uh, introduced earlier. I mean, listen, it's, you know, it's being done with STEM. Why, why shouldn't it be done with sales? Yes, no, for sure. And I think, um, you know, I, I only have, like I said, I've kind of fallen into the second grade, seventh grade curriculum there, but, but, you know, I, I think I want to see like, you know, I want to see, you know, show girls and, you know, younger kids that this is, you know, I, you can be completely successful in sales. This is, you know, this gives you some freedom. Um, you know, I'm currently working on a book um, the, where the topic sort of is sell your way into the life that you want and sales offers you that opportunity. There is no, you know, if you get the right sales job, there is no cap. There is no ceiling. You don't get your, you know, you don't have to worry about your 3% cost of living raise every, every year and wondering how I'm going to make that stretch out with inflation. Um, and that you can, you know, sales gives you an opportunity that most other professions don't give you. Um, it gives you some freedom. You, you know, you can act like a 1099 employee, right? Um, you know, one of my, my, one of the chapters in the book I'm writing is completely dedicated to knowing when to take the next step, right? Yeah. How do you know when it's time to take the next step, to make that next leap, to take that next risk? Um, you know, how do you know when to do that? And, and so that your, so that your career progresses the way it needs to, in order for you to maximize, you know, your ability to be at the top. And that doesn't always mean, you know, I think so many people think that means, you know, leadership, sales leadership. And it doesn't always mean that. I mean, I mean, you can be, as I mentioned to you earlier, you know, my brother is one of the top four sales reps in the nation for his billion dollar company. And he and I would never trade places. He thought I was crazy. He's like, yeah. I want to deal with people. People are messy. And I was like, and, I, and I'm like, why do you want to start at zero every month? That's scary. Right. And so yeah. you know, it's like neither of us would switch places and both of us love what we're doing and would not, and would not trade it for the world. Um, but I think, you know, I, I work really hard to try to put myself out there. I, you know, I mentor for another group here in St. Louis called I-10 and it's a nonprofit group that, that really supports founders. I say that are still in their basement or their garage. Um, who haven't, who haven't, who haven't taken the risk to quit their full-time job yet, but have an idea and need mentorship. And so, you know, I'm the sales expert for that too. And I'm happy to your point, I am seeing more minorities um, and not as many, I still don't see as many women as I'd like, but I'm at least seeing some more minority males it come into that organization and get the help that they need. Um, but, but really it's, it, you know, it takes, it's going to take everybody. And in fairness, you know, I, I get a little controversial with this, but 
if again, if white men aren't going to get on the program, then that won't, we can't solve the problem. We have to have them. They have to be willing to hire women at, at all levels, right? At individual contributor and leadership levels, they have to be willing to mentor women. You know, they have to be willing to advocate for women. And so unfortunately, there's one big group of people that I think are going to make or break this, you know, are going to make or break this, you know, in STEM, like, I got, you know, I, I got a little frustrated. You brought up STEM and I get a little frustrated with the STEM um, program because I was all in, you know, girls who code, I was all about that. And, and girl, we've got girls on the run here in St. Louis yeah. that had a friend that, that coaches um, and all of that. I was all in, but the, you know, but the bottom line is culturally those girls, even though we're doing all the right things early on, they don't, they aren't going into those professions at the numbers in which they join girls who code or STEM programs. And it's, and again, it's still not necessarily culturally acceptable to be in the math, you know, majoring in math or science or accounting or those, you know, some of those, some of those type of STEM, um, you know, areas. And I think that's just, we have to say it's, it's okay. It's not a male profession, you know, it's right. okay to do all those things. But, but I, like, I loved what STEM did at the beginning and I would love for sales to do that as well. But I think where STEM missed the boat was later, right? When those girls got to high school, and other things became priorities for them. Not, you know, then we were competing with social, not just educational um, situations and, and boys and dances and, and, and girls sports and those type of things. But I think we can That's do sort a of lot. Why we did it the opposite way, right? We're, we're yeah. starting with college to high school and then we'll make our way because I agree with you. I think they missed the boat and, yep. and um, yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I've always said too. Uh, let me tell me what you think, but you know, that, so I agree, we need our, we need the men, right? We're not going to be able to do it. We can get all the women in the world talking and supporting each other and everything else. But unless we get um, men as, al as allies, we're That's not right. going to be able to succeed. The thing is, is that, you know, companies like ours and you know, what you're doing with Junior Achievement and some of the other organizations that you're working for, you know, we're building, you know, this great pipeline. But one of the things that we're really looking to solve for in 2022 is the entire ecosystem. Because yeah, we can get women interested in sales, we can give them the sales skills and the sales training, we can even help them get jobs. But unless we solve for the culture issue within these organizations and the inherent bias, we are, we're just going to be filling empty buckets. They're, they're not going to stay. So it's a huge problem to solve for, it um, but, and, and it's going to take a village. I agree with you. Yeah. And I think it takes women like us, right? I mean, I, yeah. I, I uh, had an interesting experience. One of my first consulting clients uh, almost six years ago I came in as the consultant and then stayed as a fractional sales leader for a while. And when I was going through all the numbers from the previous year and, and, and their top three salespeople were all women, um, which I loved. And they had a very diverse sales force, like one, one of the most diverse sales forces I had seen in some time. Um, and I had known this company. I had worked with them in the past. They'd been a partner of another company I'd worked at. So I, I had been able to see their progression and see how it went. But when I pulled the data and then I met with the owner and I said, would you be surprised to know that all three of the women who are in your top three sales um, ranks there all came in within $5,000 of each other from a revenue perspective last year? And he said, what? And I said, this is not a coincidence, right? This is psychological. I said, none of them wanted to be the one to break out 
and you know out earn the other people or outperform the other women. We aren't we aren't necessarily wired like that. And so I said to him, between you and me and the fence post, I'm picking the person I think has the best chance to truly break out. And she was a breadwinner of her family, which made it easier, a little bit easier. She was the breadwinner of her family. And, and I, and I spent like that year feeding her head with like, let's increase our average sale. Why do you think you can only sell seven deals a month? Why can't you sell 17 deals a month? And really working with her just to see what would happen. And she out earned the other two that year by a hundred thousand dollars. Wow. And that's a fascinating story. Yeah. And so I spend a lot of time talking with women who I think, you know, there is a stigma. I was also the breadwinner of my family. I saw that my mother became the breadwinner of our family from time to time based on the, you know, based on the market when the real estate market was booming, she was completely out earning my father. No doubt, no doubt, no doubt about it. Um, And so, but, but it's a weird dynamic, right? Because not every, not every partner, spouse, whomever is comfortable with that situation. And so part of that is I spend a lot of time with, with women who I think have that top earning potential and to say to them, like, it's okay. Um, you know, and it, I've got a friend who owns a, a female friend who owns a, a staffing company and she confided in me about like, a couple years ago that, you know, we, you know, we pay ourselves, right. So we pay ourselves a salary and we're, you know, she's got an LLC, but she says like, I think to some extent, my husband thinks that's what I make. And I, per- I purposely pay myself less than he makes to make it a little more digestible for him. And I was like, surely he knows he make more. And she goes, I think he does. But when he, when people like, you know, when he's like, what do you make? And she goes, I just give him the salary number. I don't give him all the rest of the numbers. Right. And so there's that whole component that I don't think that people, you know, again, I saw growing up and I was in one of those houses where my dad didn't care. Like there was no ego. There was no pride of, you know, I'm the provider protector. Like he was still like, again, he still paid all the bills. He still made all the decisions. He still took that role on as a man, but like, you know, our, again, our lifestyle changed completely, right? We, we train, you know, we, we stopped going for our one week vacations where we had to drive to the nearest lake with pulling our boat, um, you know, to, to more, you know, more resort type situations where we weren't just like renting a, you know, tacky little cabin, a one bedroom cabin or whatever. So but I think there's a psychological component that not a lot of people talk about. So we, we, we are spending so much time. And again, as, as a member of women's sales pros, you know, as a mentor for some nonprofit, you know, organizations that help startups as someone who does junior achievement, we spend a lot of time saying, Hey, you know, you should come into sales. You should come into sales and hear all the reasons. But in some cases, they're not getting the support they need from their own community because it's uncomfortable for men to know that 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 person is out, or that woman is out earning them, or climbing, you know, or or being more successful, getting more promotions, and so that's a piece that we don't talk about enough. Yeah, I I agree, and I think, um, boy, we could probably spend an entire day unpacking that, um, and you know, having lived through that, I'll tell you, it was, I mean, and, and this was. 20 years ago, you know, my husband had made the decision or we made the collective decision that he would be a stay at home dad. And let me tell you, it was not easy for him. It was not easy for him, even though, um, you know, he was my biggest cheerleader and, and there was complete transparency in terms of how much money I was making and the more, the better, right? Like, right, right. Uh, but, but so I didn't have that same dynamic, like, you know, where I, 
and by the way, there's an interesting, because I'm nine years older than he is. So I was already making more money than he was when, when we met, but that's that aside, um, you know, I, I would love to schedule another time because I, I think one, I do think it needs to be talked about more and, um, and, you know, I, I mean, I grew up in a really traditional household. My dad was in sales, one of the best sales guys, you know, salesmen I ever knew. Um, but my mother was very traditional stay-at-home mom. But, but she always taught me, um, she said, Heidi, no matter what, I don't care, you know, get married, have a happy marriage, whatever. Always have your own money. Always be financially independent, always yep. keep that little piece for yourself. And, it, right. and I, you know, I'm like, you know, I got it. And, and so kind of like you, like, it's no surprise you went into sales. Well, probably no surprise. I given my uh, growing up, right. my background that I ended up where I'm, I'm at and I ended up having, you know, being the breadwinner. <laughs> And marrying somebody who was a stay-at-home dad. So yep. you know, we could probably go through the psychology of that. You know, I'm sure some psychologists would love to get their hands on the two of us. Yes. But I think that, um, you know, it, it was really interesting because it wasn't until after she passed away um, that I found out that she owned some apartment buildings in New York and all this <laughs> other stuff. I was like, holy God, you mom really fascinating really? She, she and she kept a little like more than a little dividend. bit from yeah, yeah she was like getting dividend checks and all this stuff and i had no idea so it was like aha now i get now i really yeah. get it but anyway yeah. i'd love to schedule more time to talk about absolutely that. um and your book's coming out um so just a plug like if somebody wants to get a hold of you needs some yeah. support with sales consulting and then tell me a little bit about the release of your book yeah. So um, please connect with me on LinkedIn. I love hearing when people have listened to the podcast and give me some feedback. I'm going to always ask you what your takeaway was. So come prepared for your takeaway. <laughs> um, but uh, it's Christy Jones. So K-R-I-S-T-I-E on LinkedIn. My website is salesaccelerationgroup.com. Uh, lots of blog posts, lots of resources on there for sure. Um, yeah. So hopefully I'm down to the last few chapters. I'm hoping that it'll be released in 2022, but but I really, um, I, I wrote a Udemy course. So I was contracted by Udemy to write a prospecting course for Udemy for business during the pandemic. And it took a lot of time. It was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be to put a two hour e-learning course out there. And so I thought, well, I don't want this to go to waste. And so I reached out and found a book coach and said, hey, like I want to take this course and I want to make it into a book. Um, but in starting to do that, I had all these Christieisms, as I call them, all of these, you know, like all my little Christieism sayings, like, you know, move them forward or move them out, or whether you close it as lost or close it as one, it's closed and out of your pipeline. You know, how are you going to replace it? So I started throwing all these in and the book just took kind of a life of its own. And so really, you know, my book coach finally said to me, we, we took a, a month long break and she came back and she said, cause I was struggling a little bit. And she says, I think you're struggling because you're not inspired. And I said, no, I don't really want to write a how to prospecting book. Like, I have a course for that. Like I can give people that course, you know, and, and they can take that course. I said, I really want to teach people all the things that I learned going back to the kitchen table and all of the things around, you know, owning your own business and the benefits of that and the financial freedom that comes with that and being able to make the right decisions and, and, you know, how to find your swim lane, how to find the sales job. Because again, like 
I, when people, I always say I've got 30 minutes for everyone. And so people send me people all the time. Like they're like, so-and-so said I should talk to you. I'm thinking about sales or I'm thinking about making a change within sales. And I say to them, I go, well, what kind of sales? And they go, what do you mean? And I go, we can't just say, I want to be in sales. Right. Right. I go, it's like, and, and so I don't think people always understand all of the sales opportunities that they have. You know, you want to be in inside sales or outside sales. Do you want to do B2B? Do you want to do B2C? Do you want to like sell $100,000 deals? Do you want to sell a lot of $10,000 deals? Or do you want to sell some $5,000 deals? You know, do you want to, you know, do you really, are you really a hunter or do you really like, I say, and this is again, one of these Christieisms, but I say, you know, either you want to give birth to the baby or you want to raise the baby, but most people in sales don't want to do both. And so if you're a hunter, you just want to give birth to the baby and go, Hey, like, Feel free to send pictures. Good luck. Send pictures on the birthdays. But other than that, like, I'm not going to be, I don't want to teach them to ride a bike or how to tie their shoelaces. Like, that's not me. You know, and then the gatherers, you know, the customer success friends of the world are like, yeah, that whole giving birth thing is super painful. And I don't want to know stretch marks aren't that much fun, but I can't imagine not being there to watch them take their first step and ride their first bike. And then I want to walk them down the aisle. And so, you know, I spend a lot of time talking to people about finding the right sales job. And so when I really got down to what I wanted to teach people, it was that because I see a lot of people make wrong, just like take the wrong path and think that, that the, that the, the ultimate end goal is sales leader. When I'm like, when I have a very, you know, prime example in my own life where my brother, like I said, would never switch places with me. And I am so proud of him and he is so proud of me. But under no circumstances would we would we switch places? And and he said, like he 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 tried the management thing. He went to their little management training program for a while. And like eight eight months later, he's like, I'm out. And I said, no shame, right? Like totally no shame. It's not for you, right? You wanna you wanna be in charge of your own income. And and I've always been the helper person. I want to help other people achieve their greatest financial and professional success. So you know, I'm, I'm really excited for it to come out. I think it's got a little bit of a different spin. And really, I want like, that's kind of what my whole goal has been is to help people achieve the most they can achieve, but whatever that is for them, how do they define success? Yeah, I, I think it's great. We, we don't have enough books out there that are written by women, you know, particularly in sales. We have a book coming out um, in March. I don't know if you saw it, you know, the Good, announcement no, called Heels to Deals. It was... Uh, on uh, how women are dominating in business to business sales. And I curated 33, I wish I knew you at that point, but I curated <laughs> 33 women um, in a very diverse uh, group of women in all different stages of their career across the, uh, you know, all over the world. In fact, Lori Richardson's part of it. So awesome. uh, Jill Conrath and a lot of others, a lot of big names that, yep, that you'll see. Perfect. Um, but I, I love that. And there needs to be more books out there put out by women, uh, about sales. Um, so I appreciate that, but I just have one last question. Sure. Do you have tissue on your desk now? I do. Okay. And only only because I tested positive for COVID last week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's go with that. I'm not so sure. I totally believe that. Okay. That's my story. Heidi. I'm sticking (laughs) You're sticking to it. All right. Thanks Christy so much. Take care. I appreciate it. Nice to meet you.